0: have questions do you need answers the pastor study will help you find those answers through god's word our teacher today is pastor tom brock the pastor study is sponsored by pastorstudy.org so grab your bible and join us for the pastor study
1: Welcome to the pastor's study. Many years ago in England, there was a wealthy man by the name of Lord Congleton. He overheard his servant girl say, if I only had 10 pounds, I would be content. And he went and he handed her a 10 pound note. She was elated, she thanked him profusely. And after he left, she said, why didn't I say 20? And see, that's the problem with possessions. Enough is never enough. And we've been doing a series on the parables Jesus taught. Today we're going to do his parable called the parable of the rich fool. And I want you to ask yourself as we go through this parable, where are you at with your possessions? Do you own them or do they own you? Very important parable today. Take out a Bible if you would turn to Luke chapter 12 and let's learn all that we can from the parable that Jesus told called the rich fool. Let's pray first. Father, we do want to pray that you would help each of us hold our possessions loosely so that when you take them away, it doesn't hurt so much. And we will let them all go one day. So Lord, just help us worship you and trust you help us not trust our bank account, and we ask you now to speak to us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Luke, chapter 12, starting at verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. And here's kind of the first little lesson I want you to get out of that verse. Make out a will. And if you haven't I'm so glad that when my mom died she specified Tommy gets this, Sharon gets this, Mark gets this, so we didn't fight after she died. And If you've never made out a will, do it so your kids don't end up fighting like they are in this verse. Uh, Verse 14, But Jesus said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? Here's the next lesson. It's okay to say no. This man says, Jesus, do this. And Jesus says, no, it's not my job. <laughs> you know, elsewhere, Jesus said, give to whoever asks of you. But the question is, did he mean always? I mean, if somebody asked you to be, make your brother do this, Jesus says no. I think overwhelmingly that give means be generous. But here's a time where Jesus asked him to do something. They, a man asked Jesus to do something. Jesus says no. uh, My point is, if somebody is asking you to do something that isn't God's will, you don't have to do it, and you don't have to feel guilty about it. I mean, uh, you know, we have our radio ministry here in the Twin Cities. Now we have our TV ministry. It's kind of seven different cities now, and we're really happy. Pray for that enterprise, if you would, because it takes a lot of money to run the thing, and we hope it will continue after December 31st. But sometimes I get phone calls and, you know, somebody wanting to meet with me, and... Sometimes you just got to say, no, you can't do everything, and you're not supposed to do everything. And here's somebody who wants, Jesus, do this, and Jesus says, no. So, verse 15. Then Jesus said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of covetousness. Here's the next lesson. Beware of covetousness. Of all the Ten Commandments, I think probably the least understood commandment is, Thou shalt not covet, because people don't quite know what the word covet means. So let me give you the definition. Coveting is the greedy, grasping, selfish desire for more. Let me repeat that. Covetousness is the greedy, grasping, selfish desire for more. And covetousness is classed with the grossest of sins. If you were to read Romans 1 or 1 Corinthians 5 or Ephesians 4 or 2 Peter 2, they list all these sins and some pretty horrible sins. Covetousness is right in there with these awful sins. So if you're coveting, that's not a little thing. That's a big sin. It's especially a big sin in our materialistic, consumerist American culture. Look at verse 15 again. For even when one has an abundance, his life does not consist of his possessions. Here's the next lesson Beware of the lie that possessions bring you life. I mean, have you ever made an impulsive purchase and turned around and thought, Why on earth did I buy that? <laughs> I mean, I have. I like the garage sale. Sometimes. There's a great place called Bible for Missions Thrift Store here in the Twin Cities. All the stuff you give to them, they sell at a thrift store, it goes to foreign missions. So periodically I fill up my car with stuff that, why did I buy this stuff? And I give it to Bible for Missions, it goes to missions. But the point of this verse is, beware of thinking you get your value and your worth by your possessions. Ask yourself, are you addicted to shopping? Some people are, I mean, the Mall of America is their temple. (laughs) There's a beautiful old folk song that I love to sing called Pretty Sarah." One of the stanzas goes, Now my love won't have me, and I understand. She wants a rich merchant, and I have no land. I cannot maintain her. I've no silver or gold. Can't give her the nice things a big house will hold. And pretty Sarah dumps the man she loves for some rich guy in in the song. And how many of us, Christians included, have kind of dumped our first love, the Lord, for things, for possessions? And Jesus is saying, don't think when you've got possessions you're going to get life out of possessions. You can't. So I want you to to check yourself with this question. Have my possessions become too big in my life and has God become too small in my life? Let me repeat that. Ask yourself, have possessions become too big a deal to me and has my life with God become too little a deal? C.S. Lewis was the famous uh, Christian writer in England. He died the same day JFK died November 22nd, 1963. You know, everybody talked about a Kennedy assassination, but C.S. Lewis died that day. Wonderful Christian writer. And one day, a friend invited C.S. Lewis to his home and showed C.S. Lewis all these beautiful artifacts and the beautiful possessions he had. And C.S. Lewis looked at the things and he said, ah, these are the things that make it hard to die. (laughs) John Wesley was the founder of the Methodist Church. He preached all over England, Thousands of people came to Christ because of John Wesley's preaching. He was a very cultured man. He loved fine art and music, but he gave it all up to go on horseback for most of his life, preaching town to town. One day, a wealthy man invited Wesley to his estate, showed Wesley his beautiful grounds, and John Wesley said, quote, I too have a relish for such things. Ah, but there is another world. I saw kind of a funny t-shirt. It said, he who dies with the most toys still dies. Again, Jesus is telling this parable to get us to believe. Understand that your possessions don't bring you life. What brings you life is a deep, meaningful relationship with God the Father. That's where you get your life. Your, your possessions ultimately mean nothing. Verse 16, and Jesus told them a parable. Here's the parable of the day, the rich fool. The land of a rich man was very productive, and he began to reason to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? I want you to notice the I, me, my. This man is all into himself. Verse 19, and I will say to my soul, excuse me, verse 18, then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. Then verse 19, And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Here's the next lesson. Beware of going beyond daily bread. Uh, Jesus taught us to pray give us today our daily bread. He wants us to every day be dependent on God. Why did this man want to build big barns so he could have food for 30 years, not daily food, 30 years worth of food. Why? So we don't have to think about God. And that's why Jesus calls this man a fool in a minute. But the danger of riches. Riches tempt us to trust them instead of trusting Him. I'll tell you what my experience has been in life. When my savings account starts getting big, I start to think about it a lot more. And I I start to salivate a little bit when I think about it. And periodically, I just got to write a check to missions or to the church to remind myself, Tom, your source is not your bank account. Your source is the Lord. Beware of going beyond daily bread. Look at verse 20. But God said to him, to the rich man, you fool. Here's the next lesson. There is a time to use the word fool. Now, now and then I'll hear a Christian say, you fool to somebody. And I'll take them aside maybe and say, do you know that in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says you can go to hell if you call somebody a fool? And so I don't use the, I I almost never use the word fool. But God calls the rich man a fool here. And if you read the Gospel, uh, if you read the uh, letter of the Galatians, Paul says to the Galatians, you fools who bewitched you to abandon the Gospel for for legalism. And James, when he writes his his, uh, letter, says, you fools. So I wouldn't use it much. I'd use it very carefully, but there is a time to use the word fool. Um, Look at verse 20. You fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? Here's the next lesson. Your soul matters, your things don't. Jesus said something very similar in, in Matthew 16. Was it a, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? You know who I thought of? Bill Gates and Warren Buffett men who pretty much are agnostic, they've gained the whole world, two of the richest man, men on the planet, and it doesn't look like they have any relationship with God. What does it profit them to gain everything and then lose their soul? I have seen this because I've been to Pompeii. Pompeii is just about an hour south of Rome. In 79 A.D., when Mount Vesuvius exploded, Pompeii was covered with molten ash from the volcano. And what they did, you can shoot plaster of Paris into some of these molten ashes, break off the ash, and you'll get a mold of the person's last moment. And you get dogs like this. And you, and, but some people, like one woman they found, in her apron, she was c- clutching her jewels. And she was in that position for 2,000 years, and that's how she was caught. And and the, the question is, do you own your possessions, or do they own you? Do you understand that your soul is what matters, not your possessions? Charles Finney was a famous preacher of days gone by, but he didn't start out as a preacher he went to law school he graduated law school and he goes into the old squire's office and this old squire says well Finney now that you're graduated now what are you gonna do well sir I think I'll hang out my shingle and I'll start my law practice The old squire says then what well I hope to have a good business make a lot of money "Oh, then what well I suppose eventually I'll retire well, then what? And Finney says, well, I suppose eventually I'll die. And the old squire says, Finney, then what? And the story goes, that question so shook Finney, he went into the forest for five hours and prayed. When he came out, he didn't go into law. He became a preacher. The point there is, what is does it profit you to gain the whole world and lose your soul? Now somebody asked a millionaire, a millionaire died, and somebody asked his friend, how much did he leave? And the friend said, everything. Two men were talking about a, a man who left $2 million. And the one man says, isn't it a pity he left it instead of sending it ahead? <laughs> Here's a story. A story goes that there was a man who was washed up on an island, shipwrecked. The tradition was of this native island was the natives would take the person that appeared and make him king for a year, and he would get everything he wants for a whole year. But at the end of the year, he's put into a lone canoe, pushed off into the sunset, and right over the horizon was a desert island where the man would die from starvation. Well, they make the man king. He gets everything he wants. Near the end of the year, he says to the natives, am I still your king? Yes. Will you still do whatever I tell you? Yes. Well, then fill boatloads and boatloads of uh, animals and, and plants and send it on to that island beyond the horizon. That's what you're doing. When you use your money here on earth for the kingdom of God, you're sending it ahead of you instead of leaving it behind someday. Two men were dying in a hospital room. The nurse comes in and one man is very troubled and she says, Sir, something wrong here? You're in pain? Why are you so troubled? And he pointed to the man dying in the next bed, yes, there is something wrong. He's going to his treasure. I'm leaving mine. So use your money, everybody for the Kingdom of God, give it to the Church, give it to World Missions, give it to Samaritan's Purse, Christian Agency. When you spend your money for the Kingdom of God, you're not leaving it behind. You're going to get it someday because you're pushing it ahead. (laughs) There's a little joke. Here's a man who dies and he really wants to take his gold with him to heaven. So he's allowed and he takes his gold up to the gates of heaven and Saint Peter looks at his gold and says, Why did you bring pavement up here? (laughs) You get the point? Streets of heaven paved with gold. All right. (laughs) Don't live for pavement. Live for the Lord. Look at verse 21. So is the man who stores up treasure for himself. Here's the next lesson Beware of laying up treasure for yourself. Now, is anything wrong with saving for your retirement? I don't think so. Is something wrong with hoarding for your retirement? I think so. Let me ask you, do you give 10% of your money to the Lord? Do you tithe? That's a minimum. I mean, we live in America. You can tithe and more so. Do you do so? Or are you storing up, hoarding up treasure for yourself? Again, the question is, do you own your possessions or do they own you? This is a true story. I saw this on, a, I think, a National Geographic type uh, documentary in Africa there's a tribe when they want to catch a baboon they'll take a large gourd and and hollow it out and fill it full of nuts then they'll put a little hole in the bottom and at night the baboon comes and he puts his hand up there and he grabs a hold of the nuts but he's a greedy baboon and he won't let go of the nuts so he can't get his hand out so in the morning the natives come with the gunny sack and they catch the baboons it's true (laughs) my point my question for you and me is this do we own our possessions or do they hold us? Do they grasp us? Again, let's go back to John Wesley, founder of the Methodist Church in England in the 1700s. And he had a threefold rule earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. And Wesley lived it. Listen to this. When he was a student at Oxford, he had an income of 30 pounds a year. He was able to live on 28 pounds, and he gave two pounds away. Later in life, when he was preaching and getting a lot of money, he had 120 pounds a year. He still lived on 28 pounds, and he gave the rest away. And his saying was, quote, I fling money out of my hands as soon as I get it, lest it find a way into my heart. And so after he died, they asked, well, what what did Wesley leave behind? And the answer was, one well-worn clergy gown, a small library, a much abused reputation, and the Methodist church. (laughs) So Wesley did not lay up for himself treasures on earth. He sent it ahead. You're smart if you do that with your money. John Broadhouse was a pastor. And one day, when they were taking the offering in his church, he stepped down from the pulpit, walked down into the aisle with the usher, and he watched everybody put their money in the offering plate. Some people got angry at him. Some people got shamefaced. He gets back in the pulpit and says, If you're concerned that I have seen what you have and have not given today, Don't you know that every Sunday the Lord Jesus Christ walks these aisles? He knows exactly in whom you are trusting. Verse 21, last point for today. So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Here's the last point, point, main point of the sermon. Be rich toward God. Now, how can I be rich toward God? It doesn't really tell you in this parable but it tells you in other places in the Bible. So listen to this from Proverbs 19. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and the Lord will repay him for his deed. Proverbs 28. He who gives to the poor will not be in want, but he who hides his eyes from the poor will get many a curse. The first way for you to be rich toward God is you give to the poor. I mean, here I think on the screen is the the address for Samaritan's Purse. It's a Christian, um, uh, I think you just go to SamaritansPurse.org. It's a Christian relief agency. You give your money uh, to the poor, you're giving it to the Lord. SamaritansPurse.org. They not only help people who are starving, they preach the gospel while they're helping those people. So one way you're rich toward God is by giving to the poor. A second way you're rich toward God, and this comes from uh, a different parable, Matthew 25. Jesus says, the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to the one of the least of these my brothers, Christian brothers, you did it to me. So the second way to be rich toward God is treat fellow Christians well. Some of my money goes to international Christians concerned. You go to persecution.org and you give money so that this group can help people over in some very harsh Muslim lands where they're in jail or they're being killed for their faith in Christ. I like to give money to the ICC. Again, persecution.org. When you give money to help fellow Christians, when you give money to help the poor, you're being rich toward God. You're sending your money ahead. (laughs) Well, I want to close with this. Many years ago, a very wealthy farmer in Norway stood on his porch. He's looking over the valley. He owns all the land his eyes can see. He decides to take a walk. He walks by a little hut of his old farmhand, Hans, and Hans is folding his hands saying a prayer over his lunch. And the farmer interrupts him well Hans, that's not much uh, much of a lunch for you. Well, the Lord is good. I've never gone hungry. Old Hans says, but sir, funny you should visit me today. I had a dream last night that said, tonight the richest man in the valley will die. And I wondered, sir, is that a warning for you? Well, the farmer brushed it off, went on the rest of his day, but about four o'clock in the afternoon, he gets nervous, calls for the doctor. The doctor from town comes out and examines the doctor thoroughly and says, don't be afraid. The richest man in the valley is not going to die tonight. So the farmer invites the doctor to stay for dinner and lay, they, talking into the night, they're smoking cigars, having a drink, and 10 o'clock that night, a knock on the door. The farmer gets a little nervous, he goes to answer the door. Here's, here's one of his young farmhands. Sir, I didn't, didn't know if you knew, I, I wanted to be the first to tell you. Old Hans died tonight. <laughs> How can you be rich toward God? It's by not holding your possessions. Send them ahead. Trust the Lord will take care of you. And let the Lord be your source, not your bank account. Amen.
2: Welcome to the portion of the Pastor Study, where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, you've been talking about the rich man, the fool, and everything. I just have one question for you. How does the health and wealth prosperity type ministry explain this proverb? Jackie, that is why
1: I'm gonna say I hate the health and wealth gospel because it's a false gospel. A lot of the TV preachers teach that if you follow Jesus, believe in Jesus, and if you send me money, you're gonna reap a lot of benefits. And I think, how much money did Jesus have in his pockets when he died? When the Apostle Paul was beheaded in Rome, how much money did the Apostle Paul have in his pocket? And I think this health and wealth gospel is such a perversion, Jackie, and uh, so many churches have bought into it. So how do they explain this? this? I mean, they would say, well, you know, the reason God blesses us is so we can be a blessing. They would say, give it away. But I mean, there's, there's especially one preacher on TV. He's all about money, and you can tell he's in religion, Christianity, for his own filthy lucre, I'm sorry. It's Would just, you
2: call him a fool then?
1: Yes, I guess somebody, somebody should take that pastor aside and say, how come 90% of your message is on people sending you money so they can reap some miracle? Okay. Somebody should, should have that talk with him.
2: All right, Pastor Breck, one more question for you. It says in Romans nine seventeen and 18 that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. How is this fair? Well, and does God harden? I, I, I want to
1: encourage everybody. Yeah, he does. And I want to encourage everybody to slowly read Romans chapter 9. God has mercy on whom he wills, and he hardens people's hearts. You will say to me, why does God still find fault then? Because who can resist his will? Paul's response to that is, who are you to answer back to God? Uh, The clay doesn't talk to the potter. You know, why did you make me this way? It's a rather mysterious passage, but it's in the Bible. Does God harden people's hearts? He does. That's what it says. So read Romans 9 very slowly and carefully.
2: Because it would seem that God wouldn't choose to harden your heart. You have to do that yourself. Well,
1: that's the other thing. Let me quickly say this. In 10 times in Exodus, it says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And then 10 times it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. But uh, it gets a little difficult because before any of it in Exodus 421, God predicts to Moses, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart so that I can show my miracles and glory to the nation. We'll have to talk about this again on another <laughs> it's, program. It's a hard because it's one. a it hard is. question, yeah. I
2: think. Thanks for being with us this week. We pray that God would be with you this week, granting you his richest blessings. Until we're together again next time.
0: Thank you for tuning in to The Pastor Study. We ask, would you pray for our ministry as we seek to spread the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ? And would you pray about supporting this ministry? Our address is The Pastor Study, 5200 Emerson Avenue North, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55430. Our website is pastorstudy.org. And our phone number is 763-260-4484. May God richly bless you and join us next week at the same time as we study God's Word. Until then, may the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you.